You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome again to Disney One by One. This week we're talking about Lilo and Stitch from 2002. And remember, you can find this show everywhere on the internet at Disney One X One, especially on Instagram. You should follow us on Instagram. And if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would love that. And uh, subscribe to our show as well, wherever you listen to podcasts. With me, as always, today is my brother, David Rolfing. David, welcome back to Disney One by One. Aloha. Perfect for this episode. And uh, joining us, a returning guest, you heard him on rescuers down under because he lives pretty close to australia <laughs> jeremy vargo <laughs> welcome back to disney one by one kia and i guess you're on this episode because you live on an island sure 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 right yeah, yeah. and, we're, and we're, we're 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 in hawaii for lilo and stitch so and i actually have visited hawaii as well so okay you know i was i think four years old so <laughs> nice i have i've been to Kauai, the island that this movie is on david have you been you haven't been to Kauai. you've been to maui right i've been to maui several times nope never Kauai. and did did you recognize any of the places because they make a big deal in like the sort of the uh the trivia about this movie that you know oh that you can actually recognize real life places in Kauai. uh no, i'm not particularly i don't know which side of the island they were on we we stayed on the south side though we did we did travel around most of it so I'd have to look at it more closely. <laughs> you didn't you didn't see Mulan's walk? Is that a restaurant they went to? Yeah yeah well the, um just when she's when she's going to apply for the job at the um that final place when they burn down the house oh um, right yeah, yeah yeah she walks she walks past Mulan's walk. I don't think that was a real place. <laughs> Probably not. So so Jeremy I understand that that a baby is imminent. Yeah yeah any moment now um I mean not currently in labor but you know it's okay. it's right i mean I, let's just say i didn't know whether i'd be able to do this recording but here we are right this may be our first episode where the guest has to leave halfway through to go uh to go deliver his child yep, ho- hopefully <laughs> <laughs> we may be finishing this ourselves dave i did i needed to bring something up i found this website that monitors various i don't know i don't know you call it podcast stats in other countries and currently the Disney One by One podcast ranks number one in the film history genre in the country of Kuwait. Wow. Brilliant. And we are number four in Taiwan and number 11 in Ukraine in, as, as a film history podcast. So there you go. Hello to our <laughs> Kuwaiti and Taiwanese listeners. Are, yeah, there are probably not very many of you, but that's... Or possibly uh, all the listeners who are using VPNs that go through those countries. Yes, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are also number 18 in South Korea, number 117 in the United States of America. So we're, we're moving our way up in the film history podcast list. <laughs> I'm sorry that my local promotion hasn't hasn't gotten us anywhere in New Zealand. Apparently, uh, New Zealand we're number twenty six. That's pretty good. Oh, hey, that's I'm, I'm doing way better than you guys are doing in your country. <laughs> but uh, the Netherlands is beating New Zealand at number nine. Uh, we're nineteenth in, in the Netherlands. So, oh yeah, some exciting some exciting statistics for the Disney One by One podcast. Uh, Jeremy, what's going on in New Zealand? We learned about your Disney history last time you were on, and how your grandmother would ship you. VHS tapes that were not yet uh, released in New Zealand. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. 
one thing I didn't tell you is that I had recently actually gone to trying to establish, trying to recapture the full library of Disney movies. Um, and I was over a few years um, trying to do that by, you know, all of my birthdays and Christmases, my friends and my family would be getting me Blu-rays from various places around the world where the archive had been, the vault had been unlocked yeah. uh, for certain movies. And I got to almost, you know, almost all the important ones. And then of course, everyone stopped using blu-rays so now i don't really know what to do because disney plus is not that attractive to me because i'm like well if, if if something's on disney plus you don't really own it yeah but you only have to pay six bucks a month to have access to everything they've ever made yeah but if oh, i don't know there's something in me at the moment where i just kind of go there's something about actually owning your own copy that's not digital that you know can't be taken off of you if a company sure. decides they don't want to stock that movie anymore it's a it's a hu it's a huge problem for like old movies that people want to watch and there used to be these DVD libraries and you know obviously DVD stores um, and now all those places are going out of business and people are finding that they can't actually access the kind of movies that they you know maybe they want to watch like old art house films and stuff like that not that Disney movies are art house movies but I just think it's really interesting where you know we're sort of in the beginning of the streaming era and maybe not necessarily reckoning with what we could lose if we throw away all our physical copies. Yeah, that's true. I still buy like my favorite favorites and I still buy an occasional Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if we got nothing else, we'll move on to Lilo and Stitch. Oh, I'm sorry. Just yeah. <laughs> to actually, I, um, something about just listening to you talking about the parks, um, made me realize back in the memories of, of when I'd gone to the parks is that I had for my whole life heard about, you know, it's a small world after all. And that, that whole ride, and we I've only ever been to Disneyland once. And so I was, you know, going there. Mum and mum and dad had been talking about it because they my parents had been in California. Um, that's where they kind of grew up and got together. So they'd been to Disneyland a lot when they were growing up. And um and they'd talked to me about, you know, it's a small world ride, the teacups ride. Went there and it was being serviced at the time we were there. So I've never, <laughs> never got a chance, but listening to you and your guests talk about it, I really, it's, it's great because I feel like I, I now know that I haven't really missed anything. <laughs> oh, well, you've been hearing wrong. I love it's a small world. <laughs> I, but I get the sense from most other guests that you might be the only one. <laughs> yes. Mike, Mike is a psychopath. Everybody well, hates it. It's torture, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, I'll get into it briefly. It's a small world. The the characters, the look and feel and 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 the overall like artistic motifs of it are all based on the work of Mary Blair, who is a very famous Disney artist who we've talked a lot about on the show. She worked on a lot of the old movies, Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, Three Caballeros. She has a very distinct style. So that is one of the things I appreciate about Small World is just the the style of the characters and the animatronics and the artwork throughout because it's Mary Blair and it's very classic Disney. Yeah. Right. And also the fact that the, the ride was originally created for the World's Fair in 1960-something. Uh, so Walt created that ride as this like exhibit in New York City. And then they, ended, then they dismantled it and they shipped it to Disneyland as it was being constructed. And so... 
that was actually built pre-Disneyland. It was like one of the original Walt Disney created attractions. And so the history behind it is more why I love it, not necessarily because of the exact experience of it. Right. So it's one of those it's one of those classic situations where you're like, no, 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 you don't understand how to appreciate this children. Yes. Once I teach you all about it, then you can ride it and love it. <laughs> yes, which is fine. That, that, that's okay. <laughs> it's also, I have to say, it's totally your fault what's happened to my YouTube um, recommendations um, because after listening and hearing a bit more about the history of the parks and stuff like that, I, I clicked on one video about like the behind the scenes of the Sleeping Beauty castle in Disneyland and now my, my recommendations are just littered with like nerdery about the Disney theme parks. <laughs> there are so many YouTube channels about that stuff. Like you could, it, it's never ending. I subscribed yeah. to a few great ones. I suggest Tim Tracker who goes to the parks and makes fun little videos. And I, I suggest, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Justin Scard. He's good too. And uh, Fresh Baked Disney. I'll, I'll recommend those three. And uh, Mickey Views. That's a good one too. If you want some good uh, Disney parks, YouTube channels. Anyway, with that, we'll move on to Lilo and Stitch. And now, our feature presentation. His name is Stitch. He's loose. He's taking a police cruiser. Yeah, he took the red one. That crazy trog is about to make a jump. Where is he? A place called Hawaii. Oh. Chris Sanders, who was the director, the co-director of Lilo and Stitch, created this character back in 1985 for a children's book that never got sold. And in the mid-90s, he decided to develop it into a feature film, the character of Stitch. The movie required a remote location. It was originally going to be Kansas. I don't know if that was uh, Wizard of Oz inspired or what, but they decided to change it to Kauai, a Hawaiian island, because no other animated feature had ever taken place in Hawaii. So they decided to, to branch out from sort of the American or European locations that all these movies had really overdone by now and uh, make this movie take place in Kauai. Yeah, in, in the in the words of, of Chris Sanders, quote, animation has been so much set in ancient medieval Europe, so many fairy tales find their roots there, that to place it in Hawaii was kind of a big leap, but that choice went to color the entire movie and rewrite the story for us, end quote. So we're in Hawaii. Dean Dubois was brought on board to co-direct this movie with Sanders. He had co-written uh, Mulan with Sanders. And so he was brought on to help with Lilo and Stitch. They went on to make How to Train Your Dragon together. The character and set designs were based pretty much entirely on Sanders' personal style. He sort of had creative control over this movie. The cast of this movie, the actors voicing the film's young adults, Nani and David, were Tia Kareri, and who's a native of Honolulu, and Jason Scott Lee, who was also raised in Hawaii. And he was part of Power Rangers, if I'm not mistaken. Jason Scott Lee, was he a Power Ranger? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah, he absolutely was. <laughs> but you know who Tia Career, like where she's from? I do not. She's the girlfriend in Wayne's World, the one who plays uh, the like white bass guitar, right? Nice. Or is it okay. bass guitar? Or, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's just showing my age a little bit there. But man, like as soon as I saw that that was her, I was just like, I saw that character in such a different light. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I recognize her. Yeah. And Jason Scott Lee was which Power Ranger? The the i don't remember he was like in the second round of power rangers maybe. yeah i think he was like the new is it like white or gold power ranger that came in that was like he um he was like really super special and everyone it was that tension of like do we want the new guy even though he's better okay now i'm getting confused because there was jason lee scott and jason scott lee are two <laughs> different people <laughs> hang on because jason lee scott was the original red ranger 
but he was okay. a white guy, right? Yeah, he's a white guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this okay. this guy's a native, like, um, I think Japanese American uh, Hawaiian guy. Okay, Jason Scott Lee. I don't know if he was in Power Rangers. Hang on. <laughs> No, he was never in Power Rangers. <laughs> okay, well, Jason Lee Scott was the original Red Ranger. Jason Scott Lee is not. Okay, anyway, moving on. So these these two actors assisted with rewriting a lot of the Hawaiian dialogue, the dialect. They wanted they wanted to get some Hawaiian slang in there, so they, they became involved in the screenplay a bit. Um, other cast members included David Ogden Steers, who was uh, Dr. Jumba Jukiba. He was also the voice of uh, Radcliffe in in uh, Pocahontas, so that that voice sounded pretty familiar to me. Bing Rames is in this movie as Cobra Bubbles, and uh, Chris Sanders, the director, is the voice of Stitch. Kind of fun. The guy who created the character got to be the voice of it as well. Sanders and Dubois uh, decided to choose watercolor as the main background medium for this movie. That was that was very uncommon for these Disney films to use watercolor as the main uh, medium, but it's really a nice touch and it really fits that Hawaiian vibe and feel. This movie was primarily produced at Disney MGM Studios, now Disney Hollywood Studios in Florida. Um, it was one of three movies. Uh, the other two were Milan and Brother Bear. They were heavily, uh, mainly produced in Florida. So not much like really intense happened in the production of this movie. We've been through some crazy stories in some of these movies and the only big thing that I've, that really piqued my interest and that this was I mentioned this a little while back I forget which episode but the original ending of this movie was uh, Stitch, Nani, Jumba and Pulpikli those characters they when 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 Lilo is being taken away in the spaceship in the in the container in the tube in the original movie this is full, this was fully animated Stitch and and the other characters hijack a Boeing 747 from the runway at the at the Lahui airport and then uh, chase down the spaceship through the skyscrapers of Honolulu oh wow that was created right before 9/11 <laughs> i can't imagine why that was changed but the movie came out <laughs> after 9/11 and so they reanimated that sequence. It's now a spaceship kind of weaving through the, the, the hills of Kauai. But if you go on YouTube, you can find the original version as uh, this jumbo jet is careening towards the skyscrapers in Honolulu and bouncing off buildings and stuff. <laughs> after the characters literally after the characters literally enter the airplane and, and hijack it as the passengers run off the plane. So pretty crazy. That that was wow. the original ending of this movie, and and they had to change it really quick. That's really interesting that they managed to release the footage. Like, did, did they officially release it as a DVD extra? Or did someone just sort of smuggle it out? I don't know. It must have been on a DVD because I mean the versions that are on YouTube are pretty high high quality. So, I guess they they let it out at some point. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting look into history as well, and film history, and and kind of what they had to do around that time. So. The music of this movie was written by Alan Silvestri. I think his most famous score is probably Back to the Future. I definitely heard some Back to the Future vibes in the in the score to Lilo and Stitch. He's also done a lot of the Avengers stuff, so pretty great composer. This movie had two original songs. I'm going to butcher the pronunciations of, of this, but the, the opening song is called He Mele No Leo, written by uh, Mark Kilehawamwalawalu. <laughs> And Alan Silvestri. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'll try that again. Mark Kiali Hawamalu. How was that? That was much better. That, that, was better. that Yeah, you gained some credit with that one. Yeah, and they also wrote the Hawaiian roller coaster ride song, which which is a fun song that's played in the middle of this movie. And of course, there are Elvis Presley songs quite prominent throughout this film. There's no place to ride the beach. I served till the sun sets me 
For the release of this movie, there were some really fun trailers. They released what they called interstitials, which were four different introductions that would then uh, lead into the trailer. And they were different clips from famous Disney movies where Stitch came in and, and kind of ruined it. So you can look these up. They're really fun. One was... Uh, it's the being that's the ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast and Belle and the Beast are dancing and then the camera pans up to the ceiling and stitches on the chandelier and he shakes it and it falls and crashes and then <laughs> and then Belle and they got the original voice actors to come back to do these and then Belle like leaves in a huff and says I'll be in my room I'll be in my room and then they have another one with the magic carpet ride from Aladdin and Stitch comes flying up in a spaceship and opens up the hatch and like kind of nods at, at Jasmine like he's trying to pick her up and she climbs into the spaceship with him and flies away. Get your own movie. And then there's a Little Mermaid one where it's Ariel on the rock singing, you know, the what's the song where she's da 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 da. And then this big tidal wave comes Out up. Of your world. Yeah, part of your world. This big tidal wave comes up and Stitch is surfing on the tidal wave and knocks Ariel off the rock. I was singing here. And and then the final one is uh, Pride Rock with Rafiki and he's he holds up Stitch instead of baby Simba and then and then <laughs> Timon is on the ground he goes that's not Simba and all the animals actually look up and then they just run away and then Stitch is just standing there on Pride Rock and he and he clears his throat and he goes rawr <laughs> and roars like a lion <laughs> and then each of those each of those then go into the trailer of, of for the movie they're pretty fun I, I recommend looking them up hey that's not Simba <laughs> <clears throat> it's really it's really interesting what they were obviously trying to do there is you've got you know coming off the back of the waning of the renaissance and essentially the the studio going hey we're going to associate this character in your minds with all of our really successful movies and like the classic the sort of the neoclassic disney um that everyone that that were super successful before we had these kind of less successful films um to try and put him put the character of stitch in that echelon of like a classic disney character yeah, but then also to show how big of a troublemaker he is. Yeah, yeah, and it, well, the fact, but the fact that he can interact and like actually mess up, you know, what's going on in those classic stories is like it kind of gives him power as a character as well. Yeah. Did they play that in the line of like the Stitch attraction and Tomorrowland or something? I've seen all of those. I just don't know where I've seen them. Maybe. Yeah, we can talk about that real quick. So there was an attraction at in the Magic Kingdom at Disney World called Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter. And the, the terror, extra terror terrestrial that uh, Steven Spielberg helped create, I believe. And it was this theater in the round where you'd go in and they put this like harness over your shoulders 
And there's this whole story about how they're going to like transport this alien into the theater and then it gets loose and they turn all the lights off and uh, there's speakers on either ear. So it's like that what they call it binaural sound. So it, when you're in pitch black, it's they, you, they can use stereo sound to make it feel like there's actually like creatures walking around you and stuff use, utilizing these audio tricks. And it apparently is this terrifying experience. And it, it was like in the Magic Kingdom, which is like the park for kids. <laughs> and so... It was it's it definitely had a cult following, but after a little while they shut it down and they turned it into a, a stitch attraction. It was the same idea, but they just kind of kidified it. Still pretty scary though, David. We went on it, didn't we? Yeah, even the stitch version as a little kid would be pretty scary. So it was like scarier monsters than Stitch before that. Yes, it was like <laughs> it wasn't. It was basically the alien from Alien, like the Ridley, the Ridley, oh, the Ridley Scott movie. Terrifying. But it wasn't because they didn't get the permission to use that. <laughs> but it was the same idea. Wow. And you like feel it breathing on your neck and then they have like, they could control the shoulder things on you. So because you're in pitch black, they make it feel like it's standing on your shoulders and it's like breathing in your ears and stuff. And they like spray water Mm -hmm. in your face like it's spitting and sneezing on you and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) The magic kingdom. (laughs) But they, uh, they turn that into a stitch attraction, which is now closed. I believe they've shut it down. But also when they release the movie back to those sort of funny trailers we were talking about, they, and this did not go over well, but they TP'd the, the castle in Magic Kingdom. They covered it in toilet paper. Like Stitch like took a roll of toilet paper and, and covered the castle in, in toilet paper to promote the movie. And people didn't really like that. Like you're coming to the Magic Kingdom for the, your only time in your life and the, and the castle has toilet paper all over it because some little blue alien TP'd it. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Like that, that, like that, that, that would make me feel like I was there on like a special day where like that was the only thing happening. But that, that's a very New Zealand kind of um, psyche kind of thing. Like New, New Zealanders are just like totally all about that. And like, I guess, uh, you know, ha- having American family and stuff like that, I totally get that there's a significant amount of American kind of like, oh, how dare they? That's so disrespectful. Oh, oh, I don't I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you Google Stitch Disney World toilet paper, you can see the castle with, to- with toilet paper on it. Um, so this movie came out June 21st, 2002. It made $273 million on its $80 million budget. It was a huge success. It was nominated for Best Animated Feature that year. It was the second year that award was at the Oscars, but it lost to Spirited Away, which was also released by Disney in the United States. So they're sort of competing against themselves. Other, other nominees that year were Ice Age, the original one. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, which was a Jeffrey Katzenberg DreamWorks deal, and Treasure Planet, which came out the same year as Lilo and Stitch. Wow. But Spirited Away, the Miyazaki movie, won. The success of this movie started a whole Lilo and Stitch franchise, and it's still very popular to this day. There was a direct-to-video sequel called Stitch the Movie in 2003. It was followed by a TV series called Lilo and Stitch the Series. David, did you watch that? You were probably too old, maybe. Yeah, I knew there was a show, but I don't remember watching it now. That ran for three years. There was a second direct-to-video sequel called Lilo and Stitch 2, Stitch Has a Glitch, which was released in 2005. There was a third sequel, which was a TV movie called Leroy and Stitch. I don't know what that is. Released in 2006. And there was also an anime series that was produced for Japanese audiences from 2008 to 2011. Man, all sorts of stuff. And there was a Chinese animated series that ran through April of 2017. All sorts of stuff. And uh, they have announced a live action version. At least it is in development. It was announced in October of 2018, but I haven't heard much more than that. So Lilo and Stitch. David, did I miss anything? Jeremy, did I miss anything about the history of this movie? 
Thank you. You got most of it. Just one quick story, fun fact. Stitch was supposed to be like the leader of an intergalactic gang <laughs> before they changed him being a mutated experiment. So that would have been slightly more, I guess, dark of a story if he was like a criminal. Instead, he like he can't help his, you know, his genetic makeup of destruction and the final version of the movie. Yeah, that's funny. That's exactly the the point that I had as well. <laughs> <laughs> great minds, great minds. Great, great Googles. Googles. Thank you, IMDb Trivia. Yes. <laughs> so, Jeremy, before we get into our reactions and reviews of this movie, what was your history with Lilo and Stitch? Had you seen this much before? No, I'd never seen it before. Um, I mean, I think 2002, I was... I was 15, so, you know, well, 15, 16, so I was well past. And I also think that this movie is definitely um, just by the age of Lilo and kind of the design of Stitch as a kind of, you know, this cute little, uh, well, it, what comes to be a cute little kind of teddy bear kind of character yeah. um, that's really cheeky. It really looked like it pitched quite young. Um, and so I sort of saw the advertising for it was like, uh, no, yeah. thank you. And so, yeah, just really had zero interest in in. in in it and and we saw the saw the TV shows and stuff like that coming after it and didn't but didn't watch any of them so yeah I mean it was really interesting kind of, and also what's interesting is that the premise of this never really interested me either um, like the the kind of the product offering that it seemed this movie actually was serving up I was just like I'm just not interested in that story like it just didn't really hold much interest for me David how about you had you seen this before. Yeah, and I, I probably saw it in theaters. I don't remember for sure. I mean, this one definitely was overshadowed that year by Treasure Planet for me, <laughs> which we'll talk about next week. Um, but that sort of adventure, more action, more grown-up focused, grown-up in the kid spectrum movie was kind of where I was at at that point in life. So I do not remember like loving this movie. I don't remember disliking it. As we know, most of the marketing was put towards Lilo and Stitch, but that did not affect my taste because <laughs> Treasure, Treasure Planet, I still like more. And I think I did when I was 10 years old as well, or however old I was, eight, nine. Yeah. Good to know you're not a slave to marketing. <laughs> I'm pretty much in the same boat as Jeremy for a lot of the same reasons. I had never seen this and I think just it didn't appeal to me and I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe because I was just like about a little kid and I thought that was all it was about. I'd definitely been on the ride or the, it's not even a ride, the attraction at Magic Kingdom we talked about, uh, Stitch, well, Stitch's Great Escape or whatever it's called. And it's, you know, just being aware of Disney parks and I was aware of the, the fandom for this movie. And I have a few friends, uh, Wes Morell, who was on our Sleeping Beauty episode, and this is one of his favorites. And he, I think he invited me over recently to watch it and I couldn't for some reason. So I've just been, I've just been avoiding this movie, but I was <laughs> excited to finally force myself to watch it and see if I would actually like it. Jeremy, now that you have watched it, What's your initial reaction for Lilo and Stitch? Oh, are, we, are we about to unveil our opinions? Yes, we, yes, yes, yes. Man, I really struggled with this movie. Okay. Oh my gosh, I struggled with it. Like, I, I, I sort of went into it, and you know, based on previous, um, based on the previous experience of doing the podcast and watching Disney movies, and and just kind of being like, oh yeah, like getting back into the Disney world. Yeah. And this movie just 
oh, like I, I would I would characterize my reaction to it as being like it starts off terrible, stays pretty bad, and then <laughs> right at the end it got me. Like it actually got me emotionally at the end. I was just like, oh, this is really beautiful. There's some there's something going on here that they really tap in. They managed to get to the Disney kind of heart sort of stuff. Sure. Um, but just in terms of like, you know, like all the things like character design, uh, story, the actual, like how they, the plot and how they, uh, introduce all the characters and the characters desires and their problems and stuff like that. I just, I found it hard to care about any of it. All right, David, your surface level thoughts, Jeremy, we are on the same page tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think you put it pretty well. Like I'm a big sci-fi fan, and for some reason, the mix of like Hawaii plus sci-fi didn't really work for me. Hawaii-fi. Hawaii-fi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think towards like the last third of the movie was probably my favorite portion when they started to put some more like heart into it, and you actually like care about the development of Stitch. He's not just this annoying destructive creature that they put in for little kids to laugh at i don't know like i i struggled as well to to really get into it but i mean i could see as a child enjoying a lot of the humor enjoying stitch as a character and if you don't care about character development as much really liking it i did however like the the family dynamics between lilo and her big sister i thought that was a strong point throughout the movie and kind of Lilo's whole personality was pretty fun as a spunky, weird kind of outcast child. I thought they did a good job with her character, but yeah, those are some high level thoughts. Mike, did you enjoy it? I did. Um, <laughs> I watched this. You, you don't have to, you don't have to apologize. You can tell us. <laughs> no, I mean, I watched this basically back to back with Atlantis, which was a very interesting kind of one, two punch, both sci-fi ish, but both of very very different as i mentioned last week i really did like atlantis a lot i found this to be so weird this movie's very weird mm. but i liked its weirdness like as you just said the hawaii is such a what a strange combination of like you begin with this just like this weird alien it's not even alien race this mishmash of aliens and that that's such that is just such a weird point is that like it's like everything but humans in this culture planet whatever it is yeah. like it's this council and and the design of all the aliens is just so <laughs> different from each other it's like a whole bunch of artists from different backgrounds just got commissioned to draw one alien each yeah it is and pretty weird and like some of them are terrible. Like some of them, like the the big huge guard that ends up getting sent to the um, sent to Earth later, looks like a shark. Like he's completely designed based on a shark. And then other ones are like, you know, look very similar to, um, oh, what's his face, um, the crab kind of guy from another. I can't remember what movie it is, but. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, like there's just a whole bunch of different designs. And then what's really funny about it is that in this council right at the beginning, they unveil Stitch and, <laughs> and everyone looks at him and goes, oh, it's an abomination. And it's just like, 
he looks no different to any of the rest of you like all of you are so weird looking and none of you there's no like clear race like there's no one clear kind of like this is what normal looks like so therefore this is what like a genetic abomination would look like and so the whole reveal of stitch is just kind of like (laughs) okay you're overthinking it, Jeremy. Oh, it was literally just like to the like top of my mind reaction to this. I was just like, what? what is going on here? I don't think he's overthinking it. I don't think they thought about that reveal enough. Like they could have had him, I don't know, doing something in his little container that was like abhorrent for them to deserve that reaction. But he wasn't like, you know, he doesn't look any worse <laughs> than the alien that's gasping at him i noticed that as yeah, well no, i hear you like i said i just sat through an hour and a half of atlantis and i'm like i'm just gonna relax and watch lilo and stitch and not, <laughs> not think about it too much i just also decisions like getting the um like dr juba to have a russian accent like it was just this sort of like shorthand for like he's a bad guy just you know he, he'll be the one who speaks with a russian accent sure but i do think once once we get down to hawaii i think a lot of the the animation is really beautiful, especially the I mean, the backgrounds are very, very well, well done. The, the way I mentioned the watercolor earlier, and it's, it's definitely pretty unique for these Disney movies. And I think it really sets a, a really nice, a nice, calm, beautiful Hawaiian vibe. Um, so I, I really did like that. Some really cool scenics that they definitely have a look to them. They're not going for full realism. They're going for this idealized Hawaiian landscape. I thought it was interesting how they mixed in like tourism into this <laughs> they're not uh completely just it's not just about these local families there's you see the luau they're working at the luau for all the pale mainlanders and uh and you get that that one tourist you see a couple times he's got the the farmer's tan i don't know there's just some, there's some fun stuff in here and i think the end the action is is pretty well done despite them having to change it last minute as we talked about and uh and i and as you guys mentioned i think the lessons at the end really work well um despite maybe some of the flaws throughout mm. Definitely not a perfect movie, but I found I found myself enjoying it. And I really did like the Stitch character. And I thought that the girl who did the voice of Lilo did an incredible job considering the age of that character. We have better dogs, dear. Not better than him. He can talk. Say hello. Dogs can't talk, dear. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's interesting because I... Um, at the beginning, I, I found it really difficult to like any of the characters um, because they basically make, obviously, and, and and you sort of get to understand why Lilo is kind of as sharp and um, and brusque as she is. Um, and the obviously the older sister as well. But like the beginning of the movie, you get like probably 20 minutes into the movie before there's any moment where any of the characters are actually showing you know, any kind of vulnerability. Um, and, and, and you've got the significant problem that like, you've got, it's almost like the movie just thrusts protagonists into the screen <laughs> and in front of you and says, like them, you know, it's just like, they are your protagonists. So therefore you will care about these. And I was just like, I don't care about Lilo. She's annoying. Um, you know, she's, you know, like you're getting by on the fact that she's a, like a little girl. So I'm meant to think that she's a cute little girl, but like, actually if any little girl behaved the way that she's behaving around me, I'd, I'd find her really annoying stitch. Like, you know, we're told essentially that he's a genetic abomination who, um, you know, who's, who's bent on destruction and basically we need to contain him. So you're kind of like going, well, I'm not really cheering for him at the beginning. Um, and then, yeah, and then you've got like this weird combo of the, of Dr. Jumba and the one eyed, 
weird <laughs> um, guy. You're introduced to all these different characters all at once and none of them really stand out to you as anyone that you'd want to spend any time with. And so I was just like, oh, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I will say, um, though, when Stitch drives the tanker truck full of gasoline into the volcano <laughs> and then uses that to launch himself up onto the spaceship and then he lands in the ship and goes aloha that was funny <laughs> that was real funny And this is where, like, it, like I think the beginning of the movie is the thing I have the real problem with. Okay. Um, and so it took the movie a long time to get me back into its good graces. I think it definitely sticks elements of the landing and, and especially the emotional heart side of it. Um, I thought that it was... I, I would really love to have watched this before I watched Moana because I think that the visuals of this movie suffer so much in comparison. Um, when you see that kind of like Pacific Island paradise, I, I thought that the animation seemed pretty low budget and just the the character design and the especially like the sh the spaceship design like um, all the design that anything of anything that is like alien or like sci-fi tech looks really laughable like it just doesn't look cool it looks kind of sad <laughs> i think it's also because they were using cg for a lot of that stuff it all had like really like big rounded edges and you know like it was just kind of like f just didn't have streamlined kind of look to it at sure. all which doesn't really look that futuristic it just looks cartoony and kind of a bit funny <laughs> you said that this is being made into a live action it said in october 2018 the hollywood reporter announced that disney is developing a live action version so i'm not sure exactly what that means I can't imagine this making a good live action movie just because the whole premise is based on the fact that Stitch can like kind of, that he kind of looks like a dog. Like they pick him up from the shelter <laughs> and that's why he's an acceptable creature because they think he's a dog and that they'd want to be living with them. But a live action version of like Stitch looking like a dog, I don't feel like that wouldn't work. Yeah, and I think that the live action kind of thing really plays into another one of the big problems I had with the movie, which was that the sense of peril was really uneven. Um, this, you know, like the sense of like total destruction, um, like and, and most of the time, like Stitch's destructive impulses are kind of shown to be funny. But the only reason they can be funny is because usually it's just like by the merest, like slimmest of chances, <laughs> what he intended to do didn't come off because of something. And like, it's like you, you view the power and the kind of destructive energy that he has to do so. Or like, for instance, when people are shooting at him and they could have actually shot the girl, um, you know, like yeah. it's cartoon wise when the shots are like this weird like green jelly kind of substance that doesn't actually look dangerous at all and explosions the, the explosions that happen because of the guns don't look dangerous at all and then all of a sudden like towards the end of the movie it's actually enough to blow up an entire house and you're like whoa <laughs> like what the heck <laughs> we've been dealing with this the whole time well you, do you want bullets flying by a little girl in a disney movie well no that's what i'm saying is that like is that they're, they're talking about this kind of peril and obviously they can't show it. But then I think if you did live action and you saw a little girl that was anywhere near a house being blown up, 
um, it would, <laughs> you'd, it would you'd, you'd lose that kind of suspension of disbelief that you can kind of get away with in an animated movie. Yeah, I think it'd also be really hard to find a girl that age who could act well. I'm sure the actress they had played the play Lila was older than the actual character. She was nine. Yeah. yeah. yeah so it'd be tricky. Maybe that'll end up on Disney Plus. Yeah. We're getting we're getting Lady and the Tramp on Disney Plus live action. See where that ends up. Well, there was just some other stuff that was really weird about the storytelling. Like, um, for instance, when um, Stitch brings the book of the like what's assumedly the, uh, the I think it's the Ugly Duckling. Yeah. And it's like that's not the story of the Ugly Duckling at all. Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> like, the story of the Ugly Duckling is about the Ugly Duckling finding its parents again or something. It's just like nope. <laughs> <laughs> They're just revising old fairy tales for their cause. Yeah. Cool. So let's start wrapping this up. I can I can give my final thoughts and my final thoughts. Jeremy, we need we need a rating system for Lilo and Stitch. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say it, you need to rate Lilo and Stitch out of um, uh, 100 billion mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that whole mosquito thread in the movie. <laughs> that was kind of like, it's probably one of my most enjoyable like through lines of the whole movie. It's like it's, it's actually very clever. I really enjoyed it. What's wait? What's the punchline at the end? Is that basically the um, the um, social worker um, Cobra Bubbles? Is it? Um, he basically uh, reveals that he was he was the CEI agent who managed to convince the alien race that the that mosquitoes were an endangered species uh, in in the universe and. So Earth needed to be protected right, okay. in order to protect it as like a, a hab habitat. He's, for okay, mosquitoes. God, that's what I thought, but I was I was moderately confused. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because <laughs> at the very beginning, they the boss alien orders them to like gas the entire planet, and the one yeah. alien's like, no, because we have to protect the mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so out of out of a hundred, <laughs> what was the number? A hundred billion mosquitoes okay. from zero to hundred billion. How do you rate this movie? And give us your final thoughts. Probably like 45 billion mosquitoes. Okay. Um, it's definitely not a classic Disney in, in my mind at all. Like it's not one that sort of makes it above above the halfway mark of, of, of quality for what I expect from Disney. All right. David, how about you? Out of 100 billion? Uh, I think like 70 billion. Ooh. That's way higher than Jeremy. Yeah. It is. I think it's consistent with my other ratings, however. <laughs> I'm just positive. <laughs> like, I mean, in my mind, like 50 billion is like terrible, like an F. But this is like a C, C minus. I don't know. Like, I, I'm glad I watched it. And there are some enjoyable aspects to the movie. Man, we're really getting an insight into the differences between the American schooling system and the New Zealand schooling <laughs> system. If anything, over a C is uh, over an, over fifty percent is a C. How do they how do they grade in New Zealand? Basically, a C is fifty percent, and um, <laughs> D and E like an F would be thirty percent. Oh, interesting. Oh, weird. Yeah, but getting a but then getting a C is like really bad. Eh, C's get degrees, really? bro. They pass okay. even at fifty percent. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, you over fifty percent is a pass, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, not here. <laughs> here, yeah, eighty percent is a B, seventy percent is a C, sixty is a D, and fifty is an F. Oh, so wow. So you got to okay. get at least sixty to pass, and even that's bad. Right. right. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> Inflation. And th this was better than that, but not not B quality. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're getting we're, get, we're getting mosquito inflation yeah, sure. here. 
And as I've established many times on the show, I don't think of it as a, as a grade system. I think of it as like, as like a star system. So five stars, which is a hundred percent would be very good. And like three stars is still pretty darn good, which is like 60%. <laughs> We're all confused, but out of a hundred billion mosquitoes, I'd give this like a 71 billion. It was good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> which is about how many mosquitoes swarmed onto that one yes, alien, right. which is probably my favorite moment of the whole movie. <laughs> might be the closest our ratings have ever been. Yeah, but like, I like this movie way more than you did, so I don't know. That it <laughs> I know. It doesn't make any sense. It's very strange. Almost as strange as Elvis Presley being held up as a model citizen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to even mention that. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's a sci it's, it was it's so a small weird. it's a sci-fi movie mixed with the Hawaiian movie mixed with like an Elvis movie. And the I guess I guess it makes sense that Elvis music kind of sounds kind of surfy, but not really. That's more Beach Boys than anything. Yeah. It really did feel to me like this movie was just one guy's like chance to do something that he'd always which wanted to do and include all of his favorite things in it, which don't really hang together for anyone else other than him. But he made a hit. Yep. They, uh, <laughs> 2002 2002 was a strange time culturally all right well with that we'll end this show jeremy once again thank you for joining us all the way from new zealand hey and we still don't have a baby, have so, a baby. Yeah, we made we, it <laughs> we got through, got through on the skin of our teeth and david it's a pleasure as always ohana means family family means no one gets left behind but if you want to leave you can i'll remember you though david i'm sure you can do a stitch impression please do it uh, do you have something he says that I could say? Aloha? Hang on, we need something longer than that. This, this is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that was like kind of Gollum and kind of Stitch, but I'll give it to you. Not bad. Yeah. All thanks. right. Well, with that, uh, remember, you can find us everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1. And please leave us a rating and review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, David, we have Treasure Planet. Be, get excited. I don't know if I've seen this one either. So we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Don't forget, aliens are all about rules. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. Cool. Thanks, Jeremy. Glad. <laughs> Aliens are all about rules. What on earth? <laughs> <sighs> Whatever. It's a kid's movie. Yeah.